And so, uh, with that, we turn to uh, today's message. As we work through um, Seek First, the the book by Jeremy Treat about the kingdom of God in our uh, Kingdom Come series, last week Rob walked us through uh, seeking community and that we are um, designed for community. We're built for community. Um, I thought it was so interesting that even in creation, uh, Adam is in fellowship with the Lord, right? Uh, And yet God looks at it and says, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, And God was with Adam. And so he meant human fellowship, human community. Uh, We're designed for that. We're wired for that. Uh, In that, we reflect the community that the Trinity exists in. Um, Rob also told us that we are to make disciples who are salt and light. And so in community, uh, we are able to um, influence and point others to Jesus, share that grace, extend that grace as we talk about. uh, As they trust by faith in Christ, then we walk with them um, just as Jesus commanded us, right? To teach them all the things that he has uh, taught us. And so we are making disciples who are salt and light, um, more agents of change as we talk about transformation And so today, um, this is the last section in the kingdom purpose section of the book. Um, Today is uh, pursue justice. This kingdom purpose uh, is to pursue justice. And the first thing I'll point out is that God is a God of justice. Psalm 146, 5 through 10. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is a, kind of just a base text that shows us that God is a God of justice. And it gives a few applications of uh, how God cares about the marginalized. He cares about the underserved. Uh, we often lose sight of the fact that justice was God's idea before it was our idea. Uh, he's more devoted to justice than we are. Uh, Sometimes we get confused or or worried if he doesn't act when or how we think he should respond, but doesn't mean he doesn't care or is not devoted to justice. His word promises that he is devoted to justice. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we see that God is looking out for the marginalized. He's looking out for those who are overlooked, those who are um, considered the least of these, the underserved. Jeremy Treat points out that we read in the Old Testament that God is father to the fatherless, husband to the widow, provider for the poor, and refuge for the immigrant. In the New Testament, then, we see Jesus, who is part of a poor immigrant family, who most likely became the son of a widow. So God goes from identifying with and having a heart for the marginalized to, in Jesus coming in human form, taking on flesh, becoming one of the marginalized in the world's eyes. And sometimes we identify so personally with Jesus that uh, in the fact that he was tempted in every way that we are, right, and he identifies with us in our human experience, we forget that he identifies with every human 
in every human experience, those who are not like us, those who go through things that we've never gone through. He's a high priest, we read in Scripture, who can sympathize with our weaknesses, not just our weaknesses, but the weaknesses of those who are not like us, everyone who has ever or will ever live in the history of the world. So that includes the least of these. He identifies with the least of these. His heart is for the least of these, and it's on uh, it's in his nature to make things right for the least of these, this idea of justice, making things right that are wrong. This is one of the fundamental aspects of his kingdom, that things are as they ought to be. Uh, if the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place before the fall, right, it's God's will being done, and everything is as it should be. So anytime we see redemption or reconciliation where brokenness is set right by the gospel, when God intervenes and does something and sets it right, that's the kingdom. And so justice is part of that. If there's injustice and justice makes something right, that reflects the kingdom because all is just in the kingdom of God. Psalm 9, 7 says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And so his reign is good for those in need because God's reign in the fully realized kingdom includes everything being right as it ought to be. We don't live, we don't live in the fully realized kingdom, do we? That's the not yet part of the kingdom. We have an already part and the not yet part. We live in the already part of the kingdom, this foretaste of the kingdom. And so we seek or pursue more of this kingdom reality in our midst that God might be glorified. As we move forward towards the the fully realized kingdom, the not yet kingdom that Jesus will usher in, we are pursuing kingdom manifestation, that we might experience it and the blessing that comes with it, that it might be a message to those around us who are still um, far from God, that they would see how things ought to be and how things can be um, when Christ makes them new. And so if we're to reflect God's kingdom and seek it as ambassadors or representatives of his kingdom, then we should seek to make things right. We should work to see God set or restore things to how they ought to be. In other words, we should be people of justice. We are to be people of justice. If God manifests his kingdom reign through his people in his place, why would justice be any different? If the kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place, then we are the agents of justice in the world, working to battle injustice. I mentioned just moments ago that God cares for the fatherless, the widow, the poor, the immigrant. Well, he's also told us in his word to care for the fatherless and widows, to help the poor and to love immigrants and sojourners. For better or worse, God has chosen the church to be his vehicle of transformation. God can work supernaturally to do whatever he wants to do, but he has chosen his people through uh, which to execute his reign, right? And so if justice is part of the kingdom, then he's using us to seek and pursue justice. Our call to worship this morning from Micah 6 said that God has told us what is good and that one of the things he requires of us is to do justice. Every believer is called to do justice. Pursuing justice is not reserved for some Christians. It's required of all Christians. But how can we all go about doing justice. What does that even mean? What exactly is justice anyway? I think most of us think about justice along the lines of punishing wrongdoers, maybe righting wrongs that have been committed. 
But we also need to consider proactively doing what is right, not merely reacting to what's been done wrong. We should lead out in things to pursue what Jeremy Treat calls the two key concepts of justice, equity and order. And I have an illustration that might help us a little bit, um, if it's a little, maybe a little blurry, but it illustrates equality, equity, and justice. And what it gets at, because I've, I think I've hopefully learned a lot over the, the last few years about some of these things, um, where initially I would think equality, right? Everybody gets the same resources. Everybody, it's fair. Everybody gets the same thing. Um, but you see the result is not the same. Some have a greater need, right? And so then the idea of equity comes in. Well, let's, let's modify the resources so that people who need more get more. So it's the idea of equity. So the result is all the same, not just the resources that are given out. And that kind of sometimes works a little bit, but the bigger picture of what's broken is not the resources that are allocated, you can see, but the system that is keeping the people from uh, in this illustration, enjoying a soccer game, um, but in much more real and important issues in real life, what is broken that's keeping people from even experiencing the same thing without accommodations? Maybe the system is broken completely. And so the wooden fence, privacy fence, is replaced with this chain link fence. And so without accommodations, everybody gets to enjoy the same thing. So this is a simple illustration, maybe oversimplified, to show that justice is not just making sure that everybody gets the same thing and is treated the same, or not that everybody just ends up with the same result and we have to kind of accommodate to those who need more, but if the system is broken to begin with, if it's not right to begin with, then justice is digging past the outcome to go to the root cause of the problem and saying maybe we need to address the root cause of the problem. And if we can do that without compromising, you know, the will of God or the commandments of the Lord, that makes things right. And then the system is no longer broken. And instead of reacting to something that's wrong, we're proactively creating a system that is as things ought to be. And so this idea of justice goes beyond, and maybe this is just for me as I try to wrap my mind around these things. Justice, you know, in my mind, it's, it's like old westerns, right? And there's a bad guy who wears black, and there's a good guy who wears white, and they have six shooters, and the good guy wins in the end, right? That's justice. But justice being proactive about looking into the system, the brokenness of our world, right? And the systems of our world that are inherently broken don't just need reaction. They need reform. They need change. That's justice. That better reflects. That's how things ought to be. So, we are, as people of God, uh, as God is seeking to, again, kind of administer his reign through us, we should look for scenarios in the world where we can work on the root issues so that we can see this transformational work of justice, these underlying systemic problems that they might begin to be eliminated and the kingdom is more um, manifested more. It's more prevalent, more obvious. Because in the fully realized kingdom, again, we're not going to be righting wrongs reactively, right? There will be no wrongs to right. Things will be in line with the order of God's will for the new creation. Everything will be as it ought to be. This sounds great, so why is it so difficult, Right? Probably because the order of God's kingdom is usually at odds with the world's idea of order. 
uh, again, the author Treat referred to this as the unique ethics of the kingdom. He described in the chapter how uh, he had a couple over, he and his wife had a couple over for dinner um, who, who were just very different in how they approached almost everything. All their views on life, on, uh, on morality, on all kinds of things were just different. And it struck him later that they view, treat and his wife, the Christians, uh, as the bad people, as the narrow-minded um, people who are wrong and mean and, uh, you know, closed-minded about things. Because the world has gone so far in one direction that just everyone can do whatever they think is right, and that's kind of this tolerance of, uh, I don't bother you and you don't bother me, and so uh, that's justice with no regard for God's way of doing things. Uh, it kind of sounds like this phrase that we see repeated in Scripture, that people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Well, when that's used in Scripture, it's usually about uh, how that doesn't turn out well. <laughs> uh, it's usually going really poorly. Uh, evil is abounding because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so if we are people of God, then we have to realize that, that God has a way that really is better for humanity and so it may seem closed-minded to the world, and yet it really is a pursuit of how things ought to be. And so that's one of the reasons that it's so difficult sometimes to pursue justice, because uh, as people of God, we have very different views of what is right compared to the world around us, who are not um, surrendered to the Lord or not trying to uh, live according to God's will. But not only are believers at odds with the rest of the world, sadly, we sometimes find ourselves in a disagreement with other Christians about what is right and best and just. And this can be a difficult thing to navigate, and I don't have all the answers for us this morning, uh, but just to point us to kind of our baseline, our foundation of what should drive our, our pursuit of justice, um, not my idea of what's right and what's wrong, but what is at the heart of justice is human dignity human dignity. We remember that all humans are created in God's image and therefore worthy of respect, value, and dignity. Pursuing justice, then, is an active pursuit of respect, value, and dignity in others. This is why abortion, racism, poverty, trafficking, sexism, abuse, homelessness, brutality, bullying, they all grieve Christians, or they should, because they are violations against the value and dignity inherent in all people. As minister and activist John Perkins said, you don't give people dignity, you affirm it. You affirm the dignity already within them. It's not something that you just dispense. Oh, I'll give you some dignity or I'll give you some worth or value. It's inherent within us as we are created in the image of God. So justice is affirming the dignity in others and working against violations of that dignity. And if that's at the heart of our pursuit of justice, we still are going to come into conflict with those who are um, not using the Bible or God kind of as their baseline, their standard. But I think a lot of the conflict that comes up between the church and the world could be done away with when we kind of push our flesh aside, kind of our, whether it's political or whatever kind of agenda it might be, so that they, people could disagree with us but understand that at the heart of our argument, the heart of our pursuit of justice really is human dignity and value and worth. There may not be agreement, but I think there will be more understanding. And so I'm hoping that as, as we pursue justice and we get really fired up about some of these things, and we should, 
that we don't lose sight of why we're so angry, right? Not just because it's us versus them and they're so wrong, but we're fired up because there's a violation of the image of God in humanity. And we're pursuing to set that right. We're, we're seeking to see that set right. Uh, Treat stress the importance of dignity for all by pointing out God's heart for the unborn, those with special needs or disabilities, immigrants, orphans, the elderly, and even our enemies. Focusing on the dignity of each person should help us to see people as people instead of projects or issues. Again, kind of uh, causes or agendas to not view it that way, but to look at people created in the image of God. Hopefully it will remind us of our humanity as well. That if it weren't for God's heart toward us, where would we be, right? We might be the victim of some great injustice. Sometimes we are. And if we do understand God's heart and grace toward us, then we will be moved to do justice. I believe this is the sentiment behind so many Christians who believe in pursuing social justice. Social justice is not at odds with the gospel. We don't just proclaim Jesus' name and the good news of this gospel, and we don't just hand people what they need, social justice, or address those needs. We address what people need in the name of Jesus. They go together. They're not at odds with each other. If our kingdom message is only preached and not practiced, then we have an empty or incomplete view of God's heart and an incomplete view of his grace toward us. This quote from Tim Keller was in the chapter. Tim Keller writes, If a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he is grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced, and at worst he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. Jesus, the righteous, we read in 1 Peter, died for the unrighteous. His great mercy and grace toward us gave us new life, and that new life frees us to extend mercy and grace to others. At some, at some point, however, the idea of social justice was pitted against this idea of gospel truth, that it was a social gospel, wasn't a complete gospel, or social justice has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an end note in the book that addresses this briefly, that speaks to this idea about how many, uh, many churches began focusing on serving practical needs, this idea of social justice and meeting those kinds of needs. And in doing so, they often left behind sound teaching, sound doctrine, the truth of the gospel, this orthodox theology, right? There was a, the, they ventured from that. And so as that started to happen, there became kind of this view of, well, if they're doing that and abandoning the true doctrine of the gospel, then focusing on that is an abandonment of the gospel. But it's, it's just this false dichotomy. It doesn't have to be a split there. A natural response, then, was the churches anchoring themselves in doctrine and right teaching, but moving away from meeting needs, almost a shunning of this social justice aspect. But the kingdom way, which is still gospel-centered, is to maintain the message and the movement to address practical issues in the community and the world. We don't abandon the truth of the gospel. We don't abandon sound teaching. We don't de-emphasize doctrine or the word of God. That's what we stand on. 
And if we truly understand it, it moves us to pursue justice socially. We don't abandon doctrine to pursue social justice. And we don't abandon social justice to stand firmly on the Word of God. They go hand in hand. The Word of God tells us over and over and over again to serve those who are in need, to address those who are the least of these, to minister to them, to be Jesus to them. We see Jesus doing this. He ministers to those who are in need all the time. And he doesn't neglect the truth of who he is. He doesn't water down the message of the gospel. He shows the gospel in action by pursuing social justice. So I think there's been just this negative shadow kind of cast upon that idea of, well, if you're about that, then you're not about this. It's not the same thing. You can be about both. And if you're really about this, then your life will show something of it in ministering to others. Because the big picture of the good news is that we have been redeemed to redeem. So how do we make a difference about without becoming overwhelmed? Uh, kind of prayed this earlier. It's in the, the chapter, if you've read it, this idea of there is so much injustice, so much brokenness. How do I even begin to, to make a dent? Or how do I even try to make an impact? We're given four small steps in the chapter. The first one is listen. We must listen to victims of injustice, especially those we have nothing in common with. We really want to understand before we assume a solution or offer a solution. We want to affirm the dignity in someone so that they feel heard and understood. Rather than just, I have what you need and I can fix it, right? And just um, try to slap a Band-Aid on something. One of the worst things we can do um, is try to slap a Band-Aid on a big, big issue and also say it's in Jesus' name as if we don't care about the person at all and really hearing what their problem is, but we're doing our good deed for the Lord. That, that's not what we're about. We want to listen to people and hear them and understand them and care about them as image bearers, regardless of their standing in Christ. Image bearers. Show them dignity. Show them respect so that we might understand. The second step is learn. First, we listen. Second, we learn. One of the most ineffective things we can do is stay passionate without the information we need to understand the issue, which is likely much more complex than the talking heads on um, TV or social media, etc., led on. Often, this is our first, sometimes our primary source of hearing about issues, um, and it's usually way oversimplified uh, and way extreme about what the issue is or isn't, or how to fix it, and just, it's usually much more detailed and complex than we believe it is. So we need to educate ourselves with some deeper dives through reading, documentaries, asking questions, and continuing to listen. We listen, we learn. Third, we speak. Once we have listened and learned, we must speak up. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So we can't just listen and learn. We need to speak. We need to say something. We're to admit also, this is part of speaking, we're to admit where we failed to pursue or defend God's order in the world. 
We're to affirm those who are doing it well and to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, pointing everyone to the truth and heart of the gospel. If we haven't gotten it right, it's okay to say that, right? I think that helps in understanding and respect. Say, man, I, I used to think it was black and white. I used to think it was this simple. I used to think the answer was just this. Maybe, you know, referring back to that image, I used to think the answer was uh, equality, you know, just kind of giving everybody the same thing, and that's fairness. But now I see, I, I've, I've heard, I've, I've listened, I understand that really the system is broken, right? And so it's not just a matter of handing everybody the same thing. It's saying uh, if the starting line has been moved for different people, we, gotta, we have to address that. Fourth, we act. We can't just talk about it. We have to be about it. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. This is kind of referenced even in our call to worship. What can I bring to the Lord that would please him, right? We're called to, uh, to bring sacrifices, offerings, things to the Lord, to surrender to him. But Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. For our lives to line up with his will. For our faith to move into action, right? To faith to become works, to be manifested through our works. God would prefer we act in line with his heart for others. Making things right, more than going through religious motions, offering affection for him without love for neighbor. Treat recommends we build relationships with people who aren't like us. Raise awareness, defend the weak, pray, vote. Start conversations. It goes back to seeing all of life as opportunities to become like Jesus. We talk about this all the time. Anytime we restore equity or order, we see a glimpse of the kingdom. And when we seek the kingdom, we point people to the king. We're all commanded to do justice, and we all can do something. The question is, how will you pursue justice today, tomorrow, this week? How will you listen learn, speak, and act. We try to instill this in our children, right? If you see something, somebody being bullied, something that's not right, don't just stay quiet. Uh, a lot of times that's what the good Christian kids do. I wasn't being part of the bad stuff, but did you do anything to stop the bad stuff? That's the heart of pursuing justice that I think the, the Christian community has, has missed out on for a long time kind of stay out of it. I'm not doing what they're doing. And that grieves me, that problem over there, right? It breaks my heart. But what am I doing to stop it? What am I saying? How am I showing that I see, I understand, I care about what's going on, what's wrong and needs to be made right? And what am I doing to pursue justice in that situation? That should be our prayer this week. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this word this morning, um, this reminder that you are um, a God who cares about making things right, a God who cares about equity and order, a God who cares about the injustices of the world. Help us to see, Lord, uh, where we have been deceived, where we have been misled, um, where we have not recognized the systems that are broken and need to be made right. Help us to see, Lord, that uh, though the, the darkness, the injustice is overwhelming, that um, you have still called us to do our part, 
as we interact with the world around us, as we seek to love our neighbors, as we seek to extend the grace of God to those who are not um, yet children of God. Show us how to, to respect and honor the dignity in others why we still may disagree with, and yet we pursue their flourishing. We, we pursue justice that you would make things right. That the people of Missio Day Church would leave behind us a, a, a wake of, of the way things ought to be according to God. That your kingdom would be manifest through us, through our relationships, through our jobs, through our neighbors, through our parenting. Show us, Lord. Show us what is not right that we can step into, that, that you want to minister into through us. And we pray these things and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.